Welcome to Declaration, where we exist to help people encounter and follow Jesus. Here at Declaration, we believe that God has a word for you and for your family, to live a life of fullness and to be faithful to Christ and His church. If you want to know more about who we are at Declaration Church, then I highly encourage you to visit declaration.org. Now let's join in with Pastor John Sherrill. All right. Hey, can we just thank the Lord again? That's awesome. I got some things to talk about briefly, and I'm already late, so I'm going to rush through this. But hey, if you're in five, six, fifth or sixth grade today, we would love for you to go hang out with your class. Let's celebrate them as we welcome everyone joining us online. Come on, give them your best for a moment. We're so glad you're with us today. Uh, really quickly, um, this morning, I want to ask you about this Connect card. I know that we talk about this a little bit here and there. You can do this digitally as well. Um, what's the keyword there? Is it Connect? Do we know? Do we have that set up? Well, Connect connect to 43,000. You can text the word Connect to 43,000. You can scan the QR code on the back of the chair, or you can just go old school like I do and just fill this piece of paper out, all right? Oh, my gosh, all the technology. But um, there's, here's, what I wanna, here's what I wanna ask you. Maybe you're just updating us um, and we would love that for sure because, um, you know, like sometimes we get things wrong in the database. Like the other day, I think I was in third grade or something. It's kind of messy, but we're working on it. But, um, but like maybe for you today, um, you've surrendered your life to Christ for the first time. Please fill this out. There's a place where you can tell us that. And that way we can reach out to you and begin a process of helping you become, um, you know, more engaged in your faith. We want to help walk with you so that you learn more about this life that Jesus is offering you. And so we won't know unless we know, right? So fill this out. But here's the other part that I want to talk about too, the prayer request section. Please use this. Um, as a team, we're going to be praying over these weekly. But also, I would love, sometimes they're confidential, I know, but sometimes we just need to bring those to the body. And so I would love to be able, during service, to say, hey, here's three prayer requests, church. Can we pray for these right now? And so please use this. Um, this is, we're a praying church. This is a house of prayer, all right? So please use this, okay? Is that cool? Two of you, good. All right. Um, next, uh, I want to remind you about the women's retreat. It's coming up, declaration.org. If you are a late, okay, there you are. Okay, now the party. This, 9 o'clock just became the party service, I think. I'm happy about that. Um, every now and then the personalities kind of shift a little, but we're back to nine and I like what's happening, all right? Um, that means you just had a lot of coffee. But anyway, the, the ladies retreat's coming up. We're excited about that. Um, let me think, what else am, am I supposed to say? Oh yes, uh, I want to talk, I want to give you an update um, about setting the table. Now, if you're new to us, uh, a few months back, we did a discipleship um, and generosity initiative because God has given us big vision. I mean, huge vision. And that vision is to build the kingdom of God, to build people. And so, um, so many made these commitments. Um, but, but I kind of want you to know this, too. Even if you weren't a part of that season and God has told you to give through declaration, to financially sow into the kingdom of God through declaration, you're a part of this as well. And so it's important for you to know that setting the table, we believe, is the way God has called us to operate, especially over the next two years, to prepare the way for what God wants to do in this area and in this world through this church, but also um, to prepare the way for the Lord to move in power and to prepare the way for people to set the table because God wants everyone at his table, amen? 
So can I give you just a brief little update? First of all, we got the t-shirts back. Some of you did not get one. If you do not have one, we want you to have one of these. They're free. They're in the lobby. Um, where is Joe McShane? Where are you? There he is. See Joe over there waving his hand? He's going to be standing at a table out there. Um, we want to give you one of these. If you have any questions about setting the table, um, you can direct them to him. But I want to give you just a few quick things. Um, today, in your inbox, when you get home, you should have our first quarterly update of what God is doing through setting the table right now. Um, in your mailbox sometime this week, you will get the first quarterly update. There is a lot to be excited about. Can I tell you, because of your generosity, the land that we purchased, can I say this? In the last few weeks, we've paid off over a million dollars. Come on, man. That's incredible. Secondly, secondly, we are slated right now to begin to break ground in just a few months, possibly sooner. So... God is doing some really incredible things. We are so excited about what God wants to do in and through Declaration. We know that the best is yet to come. We know that what we are doing, it's really not about us. It, it, the things that we get to be a part of are going to have lasting impact for generations and generations to come. And we just get to be the people with the machete to clear the path, to plant the seed, and prayerfully to see some harvest before we go, right? But what a cool thing to be a part of. So thank you. I just wanted to share that with you. I think that's, can we? Okay, we're going to move on. All right. <laughs> well, we've been in this series called Speak the Name, where uh, last week we began to ask uh, the question, what's in a name? Or better, what's in his name, the name that's above every name, Jesus? What is it that we know? What is it that we find? What is it that we possess that we have in the name of Jesus? Now, I really pray and hope, I think that this series is timely. Man, I am praying for you that this is not just hopefully encouraging, but also equipping and empowering in some way. That it's causing you to begin to think a little differently about things that you're coming up against. Because I believe everything is spiritual and God is always at work, but therefore so is his arch enemy. Who basically, know this, the enemy is not equal and opposite. God wins. But while we're here, there's a battle raging. And so my hope is that even the, the part of this series that we've done just so far is encouraging, it's equipping, it's empowering you to start thinking and functioning and living, really saying, you know, this is what we say we believe about Jesus in the name of Jesus. Now this is how I'm going to operate because of what I say I believe about the name of Jesus, right? So today I want to turn our focus to some things that Jesus himself said about himself, attributes, characteristics, some might even suggest titles that he gave us that would speak to the profound nature of who he is and his name. In the book of John, we find seven deeply significant moments where Jesus reveals part of who he is by using the phrase, I am. I am. So we're going to kind of look at these over the next few weeks. We'll catch some at a time. Um, we see this statement that Jesus makes is so significant because God himself used the same phrase to identify himself to Moses. Look at Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. God says, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So it's profound when Jesus uses the same phrase, I am. He's saying something so monumentally huge. I mean, he knew, listen, that the, he knew that the Jewish people would recognize that phrase, I am, as a name for God. 
They would know that the phrase I am means self-existent, meaning having no beginning nor end. Alpha, omega, I am would mean totally self-sufficient in every, every, in every way. I am would mean that his existence was not ever or would be ever dependent upon anything or anyone whatsoever. So here's Jesus using this phrase, likening, if not aligning, if not calling himself God. Now, we can hear the phrase, I am, and we can assume there to be a blank at the end. Let's just say it this way. We can assume there to be a blank that follows at the end of the phrase, which we can easily fill with any need that we may ever have. For example, to hear Jesus say, I am, he could be saying, I am hope. I am your healer. I am peace. I am joy. I am forgiveness. I am restoration. I am reconciliation. I am love. I am life. Fill in the blank. All of us came into the house this morning with some sort of need. We can't help it. We're needy people. I'm needy. And he's the only one that can satisfy that need. So no matter whatever the need that may be found anywhere or in any part of creation, God says, I am because he is. He's saying, I have the ability and the capacity to fill or meet whatever need there may be. Let me say this. He is never ambivalent, but always active. He is. So when we hear the phrase, I am, it tells us a few critical foundational truths. It leads me to the first thing that I really want us to embrace this morning. I am means, first and foremost, God. I am means solution. Anybody need a solution for a situation right now? Anybody? I am means um, sufficient. I am means source. Somebody say source. Um, God is our solution and our sufficient source in every way for every need. So this is the baseline, right? This is the premise, if you will, from which we'll continue our study. But also, it's the baseline and the premise and the paradigm that we must operate and live by. These are the lenses that we must begin to see life through. He is, I am. When we can embrace this truth, that's when we can begin to rest in faith. Did you hear what I just said? When we can embrace this truth, not just with our ears or our mind, but with our heart, that's when we can begin to rest in faith because then we will truly believe that God is our solution and the source in every way for every need for all of life. Look at Psalm 118 with me. The psalmist says in verse 1, Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His mercy is everlasting. Basically, his mercy is forever. So right off the bat, we see that the psalmist establishes a baseline um, for, for, he's establishing a paradigm right here, right here. Give thanks to the Lord no matter what's going on. God is good no matter what's going on. His mercy is unending. This is his baseline. This is someone who trusts in God to be their supply. This is someone who is trusting in God who is sufficient. This is someone who's trusting in God who is their source. And they are inviting now, they are exhorting those around, those who can hear, those who are reading, even us, we're grafted in. He is exhorting and inviting us to believe and declare the same things, to speak the name with gratitude of the one worthy, thanking him for his unending mercies that are new every morning, no matter what is currently going on around us. That's the baseline, right? 
That's the jump, the launching point. Look at verse 2. Now this is where he's kind of including us all. Let Israel say, so now he's going corporate. Let Israel say, his mercy is everlasting. Let the nation declare the good, kind, and unending mercy of God. Let his people declare the good, kind, and unending mercy of God. Oh, let the house of Aaron say, his mercy is everlasting. Let those who fear the Lord, that word right there actually means revere. Let those who revere the Lord say his mercy is unending. It's forever. It's everlasting. And then he goes to verse 5. Now he comes back personal again. He says, for my distress, from my distress, I called upon the Lord. That translates to yay or yah, if you will. Y-A-H, yah. Um, it's, it's, a name, it's a Hebrew name of God, Yah, shortened form of Yahweh, Yahweh. Translated to mean, and I love this, the unutterable name, Yah, the unutterable name. So majestic in splendor, so mighty in power, so incomprehensibly good and right and holy and true. The name is unutterable. But the Hebrew, Yah, Yah. We see this word, Yah, um, the name of God, 50 times in what is called the Tanakh, which is the Jewish name for the Hebrew scriptures. We call this the Old Testament. So basically in the first four verses of this psalm, we can derive that we are all, all creation is to declare the everlasting, unending, faithful mercy of Yah, God. The psalmist then, from my distress, I called upon the Lord, Yah, he the Lord answered me, and he put me in an open space. The Lord is for me. I will not fear. I will not be afraid. I will not be anxious. Where the first word, the use was to revere. This word is actually is what it is. I will not fear. I will not be anxious. I will not be afraid. The Lord is for me. He has put me in an open, safe space. What can man do to me? He speaks the name of the Lord. Maybe even if to his own heart and mind and soul. It's like telling my soul, bless the Lord. He speaks. He says, the Lord is for me again among those who help me. Therefore, I will look with satisfaction. Do you see it? On those who hate me. Doesn't matter what's happening. The Lord is for me. I'm grateful. His mercies are unending. Therefore, it doesn't matter the war that rages around me. I'm going to be satisfied in him. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than even to trust in noblemen. If you were here with us last week, you remember the nursery rhyme that, it, that, that sinks so true. Humpty Dumpty sat on a, had a great, all the king's horses and men could not put Humpty. Listen, it's better for me to take refuge in the Lord than to trust people. I'm not going to trust all the king's horses and men. I'm going to trust the king. I don't care how noble and smart you are. I appreciate your help. I appreciate your wisdom, but I'm going to put my trust in Yah. That's where I'm going to be satisfied. That's my source. That's my source. See, verse 10, all the nations surrounded me in the name of the Lord. There is that phrase again. That's why I speak the name is so powerfully profound. All the nations surrounded me in the name of the Lord. I will certainly cut them off. It doesn't matter what comes against me. It doesn't matter the sheer volume of attack. Listen, I know that some of you are exhausted. I sat with a family this week, and I'm going to tell you the level of attack I've not seen on any family in the history of my existence like they have endured. It's exhausting. 
Spiritual warfare is exhausting. Sometimes if the enemy can't lull you into spiritual apathy, he will beat you down into saying, I give up enough. I'll just disengage from God so that this can dissipate. Have you been there? I have. If I'm just being honest, I've been there. I'm not proud of that. But I've been there. God, I am tired of this battle. God, I am tired of this torment. I am tired of this oppression. If there is a curse or an assignment on me, God, I'm trying to believe that in the powerful name of Jesus, it must break. But God, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Is it me? Sometimes it is exhausting. But the psalmist, listen, the nations can surround, the war can rage, the chaos can ensue. But in the name of the Lord, I will certainly, not I might, I will certainly fend them off. He's declaring the power found in the unutterable, all-powerful name of Yah, the Lord God, the solution and the source. He goes on. They surrounded me. Yes, they surrounded me. But in the name of the Lord, I will certainly fend them off. They surrounded me like bees. They were, I don't, I don't like bees in Jesus' name. I ain't playing with the bee. I ain't messing around. Now, I know they sting you. They die. Good. There's a few things I'm going to ask God when I get there. Like, God, I need to know. Just, I, I don't care. Like, I don't want to know about Kennedy. I don't need to know all this conspiracy. I don't, tell me about roaches and bees. What's going on here? Why do people like to play in the water where the sharks live, God? I don't understand. They surrounded me like bees. They were extinguished like a fire of thorn bushes in the name of the Lord. Are you seeing a pattern, a trend? I will certainly fend them off. You pushed me violently so that I was falling. But the Lord helped me. Then verse 14, the Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Listen to me. The Lord is your strength. The Lord is your song. The Lord is your salvation. The Lord is your solution. He is all sufficient for every need. The Lord is our source. He's our solution and our sufficient source in every way for every need. I am means eternal solution. I am means faithful supply. I am means sufficient source. This is just some of what God was declaring of himself to Moses when he called himself, I am. And in the book of John, when we hear Jesus use the same phrase, I am, it's incredibly, it's just an incredibly profound statement that Jesus is making. He knows what he is emphatically saying to his audience with the use of this phrase. And I believe that he also knows that this statement will establish a baseline, right, of understanding, for everything that he is going to say that will follow. So let's look in John chapter 6. And as we open chapter 6, we see Jesus. He's been performing some pretty supernatural, radical miracles. Um, there were healings that were happening. There were healings that had happened. Crowds were following him, pressing in everywhere he goes, watching what's going on. They wanted to see a sign. They wanted to see a miracle. Jesus had unpacked some pretty massive theology in chapter 5, discussing who he was, um, talking about what was going to come, prophetically speaking, into what was about to happen. Um, um, with Passover near, we see Jesus as our sufficient supply, supply and our source. He begins to feed the masses with just a few loaves of bread and just a few fish. Even when they're done feeding the 5,000, that's implicit men. We don't count the women and children in that number. That it's far more. Even when he's done feeding with just the little that he had, there's baskets left over. All sufficient supply, source. So we pick up. 
um, knowing that every single bit of this, by design, is to the point to, it's just to point to the nature of who he is, to his identity. So we pick up in, in verse 26 of chapter 6. Look what it says. Jesus answered saying, truly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs or confirming miracles, but because you ate some of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, not might give you. You know, this just hit me, but, but oftentimes we can live with a poverty spirit, a poverty mindset. It's the premise of the orphans who were abandoned because of war, were taken into a safe house, were very well fed, but at night would panic and freak out and cry. And they couldn't figure out what was going on. Finally, after a while, I mean, they were feeding them well. Technically, they should have been enemy of the state, but they were, they were children. They took them into a safe house. They were treating them incredibly well. They were feeding them well, but the children were panic-stricken all the time. Finally, they figured out they were terrified that the next day they wouldn't have what they needed to survive. And so what they would do is they would give them a little piece of bread to hold on to under their pillow as they'd go to sleep, and everybody was fine. Because they knew then, at least I'll have this tomorrow when I wake up. See, some of us, we live with this mindset because we're afraid that, God, can you really supply? God, are you really a source that's all efficient, never ending? God, are you really taking care of me? Will you really take care of me? And God's like, these little minor sparrows over here have no need for worry or want. Surely I'll take care of you. Don't work for the food that perishes, the temporary fix, but for the food that lasts for eternity, the Son of Man will give you. For on him the Father God has set his seal. Basically, he's saying, on the Son of Man, the Father God has authenticated him. So in other words, he's saying, don't seek after temporary satisfaction and supply. Don't seek after the manna for the moment. Seek the Son of Man because the Father God has identified him and authenticated him as the one who can and will give you something that satisfies that's far greater. Look at verse 28. Therefore they say to him, what are we to do that we may accomplish these works of God? Jesus says to them, this is the work of God that you believe. It's not do better, try harder. Jesus has accomplished it. Just believe. Live in belief, faith, trust him. Believe him who was sent. So what do you do? What do you do? Believe. Say believe. Believe. But God, the war is raging. Believe. God, the enemies, they're everywhere. Everywhere I turn, from the right, from the left, before and behind. God, they're coming in. Hey, listen, but guess what? God is before you and behind you and above you and below you and all around you. Believe. But God, what do I need to Stand still. I will fight this battle. Believe. Put your faith in. Trust. Live your life each day trusting, believing with faith in Jesus. Look at 30. So they say to him, what then are you doing as a sign that we may see and believe you? What work are you performing? Well, Jesus, what are you going to do to show us? Dance, Jesus, dance. Right? 31. They say, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. That's written. He gave them bread out of heaven to eat. What are you going to do, Jesus? And then Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it's not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it was my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that he which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then he said to them, Lord, they said, Lord, always give us this bread. And Jesus replies, he says, I am the bread of life. 
The one who comes to me will not be hungry, and the one who believes in me will never be thirsty. See, not only is God our solution and our our sufficient source. He's our eternal supply. He never runs out. He's our holistic satisfaction. He's our sustenance in every way. He's our sustenance in every way. He's the bread of life. 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 So Jesus is saying that unlike the bread that people eat just to satisfy their stomachs, just to satisfy their daily needs, only he can satisfy our hunger for eternity. Listen to me. Only he can meet the hardwired longing for eternity that's built into the hearts of men and women. It's only in and through him that our desire for transcendence and being able to leave an indelible mark on this world can be satisfied. Each of us are created by God with this longing for God. Each of us are literally, um, exactly, hardwired with a desire to worship. And it's only when we awaken to the reality of our faith in the Lord Jesus, Yah, the unutterable name, and we place the fullness of our heart's affections and our mind's attentions and our life's allegiance upon him, will we ever truly find fulfillment. Will we ever really be spiritually satisfied? Listen, when Jesus told his followers that he was the bread of life, he was saying, I'm your sustenance, your source, your solution, not just for your physical hunger, not just to meet your daily required needs. Also, I'm your source, your sustenance, and your solution for your emotional needs, for your mental needs, for your spiritual needs. Yet still, how often do we choose to function like Humpty Dumpty? Right? How often? Seeing or seeking the king's horses and men to try and satisfy us. I mean, even seeking the things of the king rather than just simply seeking the king because he created all things. Amen. But those things are still just that. Things. But we chase the things. I mean, I'll just say this. Also and often, we find ourselves seeking people and relationships and money and power and influence and sex. And we try, we try to satisfy the longing in our lives, that hardwired longing in our lives. Sometimes it's acceptance that we seek. But rather than finding our acceptance in our identity that's securely found in him, we abdicate our acceptance longing to others. Or we, we fall into the trap, the sin of comparison, and we're looking for acceptance trying to be something that God did not create us to be, nor did he desire us to be. And we find ourselves just down every time. And we realize our efforts only really temporarily satisfy. And, we'll, and, and then when we realize that the deeper longings of our souls are still left starving, rather than turning to Jesus, we choose to medicate our misery through our vices and our addictions. Listen, much like the manna from heaven and much like the bread that he multiplied, his fullness will never run out. But rather, he always has more than enough For each and every one of us, for the entire world, he is the bread of life. I really think someone might need to hear this this morning, all right? Tony Evans once said this. He said, the greatest need of your heart is the greatest concern for God. 
the greatest need of your heart is the greatest concern for God. Don't hear that to say the greatest need of, you know, your, your desire for things, for stuff. No, no, the greatest need of your heart, the longing of your heart is the greatest concern for God. He's your sustenance, your supply, your solution, your source. He's your satisfaction in every way. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he was speaking to each and every one of us. This is why in communion, um, Eucharist, Lord's Supper, the table, there's so many things we call this. We hold up the bread much like Jesus did in that upper room the night that he would be betrayed. And we talk about him being the bread of life. When you come and you grab it and they say the body of Christ broken for you, this is the bread of life. The blood of Christ spilled for you, this is the cup of salvation. He's the bread of life. And he was speaking to each and every one of us. Look what it says starting in verse 41. So then the Jews were complaining about him. Because he said, I'm the bread that came down out of heaven. And they were saying, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, the kid of that carpenter dude? Um, don't we know his mom and dad? Um, how, how does he now say, I've, I've come down out of heaven? We know the story, Jesus. Don't we know, what, don't we know who you, where you came from? Little nothingness, little yellow blinking you know, light town. <laughs> One intersection, Jesus. Right? And Jesus said to them, hey, stop complaining about you. Stop, stop, stop complaining amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It's written in the prophets. And they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father, they come to me, he says, Verse 46, not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, Jesus says, I say to you, the one who believes has eternal life. He says it again, I am the bread of life. He's making this bold declaration. And he goes on, your fathers, they ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down out of heaven so that anyone may eat from it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats from this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I will give for the life of the world also is my flesh. He's saying, I'm going to give my life so that you can have yours. See, he's our sustenance. He's our supply. He's our solution. He's our source. He's our satisfaction in every way. He's the bread of life. Can we discuss one more quickly? Go to John chapter 8. We see one of the most fascinating passages of Scripture to me that tells this story that I'm sure many found absolutely scandalous in the moment. Jesus is teaching in the temple, and the religious scribes and Pharisees bring a woman in who had been caught in the act of adultery. They throw her into the center of the courtyard for her judgment and for her punishment. In the process, they choose in the moment to leverage the moment to try to catch Jesus up in some sort of heresy or blasphemy. Maybe they think, oh, we'll get two for the price of one on this one. They would love nothing more than to be able to accuse Jesus in the process of stoning her. And this is a story where Jesus doesn't immediately speak. He just bends down after they question him, and he begins to write something in the sand of the temple grounds. Now listen, we don't know what he was writing. There's all sorts of speculation, all sorts of the, you know, um, theological commentary that might believe that he's looking around the, the room because you notice they brought the woman caught in adultery to the courtyard. They did not bring the man. And so the speculation is he's looking around going, oh, yeah, Jim, here's what you did. Oh, yeah, you know, Alex, here's what you've been doing. 
and he's writing their sin in the sand. That's speculation. We don't know. It makes the story cool, <laughs> but we don't know. But he's writing something. But whatever he's writing, just know this. It's jarring enough because what ends up happening is, as soon as he begins to write this, um, something that, that probably for some, at least we're going to see, is absolutely freeing. But something probably for others um, that we see might have felt very condemning, even though Jesus didn't come to condemn but to save. And in this moment, he's going to be the advocate. He's going to stand between the accused and the accuser, which is a picture, it's foreshadowing, that Jesus will go and stand between the accused and our accuser of the enemy as well. So he's riding in the dirt, and all of a sudden, he stands up, and he says, hey, anyone among you, he who's without sin, you go ahead and you, you, you throw the first stone. Of course, they asked him a question, and this was his reply. And then he bends down again. We see it in the next verse. And he starts writing again. Oh, oh yeah, I forgot about you. Um, Peter, here's what you did. Not Simon Peter. You're doing okay right now. You'll deny me later, but you're doing okay right now. Yeah. And I love how it ends. Look at it with me. I love this. Oh, my gosh. This hit me in such a fresh way this week. Now, when they heard this, they began leaving one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone. And the woman... Where she was in the center of the courtyard was with him. It was just them. And straightening up, Jesus says to her, and I just imagine in my mind's eye, he just kind of, oh, hey, woman, where did they go? Where are they? Did, did no one condemn you? I'm, I'm just full, I'm, I just imagine just full of compassion. Where, where are your accusers? Did no one condemn you? She said, no, no one, Lord. And Jesus says this, well, I don't condemn you either. And somebody needs to hear that this morning. Somebody really needs to hear that this morning. Because somewhere, sometimes, we'll accept the forgiveness of God, at least in our mind. But in our heart, we struggle to forgive ourselves. Now, don't miss the end because it's very important. He says, I don't condemn you either. And then he says, go. Be free. You're forgiven. Go be free. But then he says, but from now on, don't sin any longer. See, we want to, if I'm being real, we want a gospel where we get to be forgiven but we can still live in our funk. In fact, I would contend that some of the American religious Christianity machine has kind of dumbed it down to give you a loophole to live in your lie, but still say you follow Jesus. But Jesus says, I don't, I don't condemn you. I would gladly stand between you and your accuser. Now go and actually enjoy your freedom, but live in your freedom. Woman, I, I risked myself for you, and I'm okay to do it. Now go be free. 
and live in your freedom. Don't sin anymore. Do you see it? I need you to see this. I need you to see this because I'm accountable before God to encourage us. Though none of us are perfect, we're all in a process. But God sent Jesus to set us free, not to give us an unending bank account MasterCard to continue to sin the way we want to sin. I believe his grace is unending. His mercy is unending. But listen, he, he died to set you free. And so he's inviting us into this incredible adventurous life. But the way that we're going to really operate in that life and that anointing is through obedience and humility. So go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. He's saying this. Uh, let, let me end it. Verse 12. Then, after this story plays out, Jesus says this. I am the light of the world. The one who follows me will not walk in darkness. Now, tie it back in. Go and sin no more. I'm the light of the world. I'm going to expose it all. I'm going to illuminate it all. I'm going to light it up. Go and sin no more. The one who chooses to follow me and to walk in my light they won't walk in darkness, but they'll have the light of life. He's saying, I'm your sight. I will illuminate your path. I will give you clarity. I will give you vision. I will help you see and discern what's true and real and good. I'm your sight, is what he's saying. Psalm 119, um, 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Your word is a lamp. It's a light. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. In the beginning, before time as we know it began, before the cosmos had been created, before the stars had been breathed and set on their axis, before the deep waters had been formed, and this, it, the word was, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word is the lamp because your word is a lamp. Your word is a light. It's the light of life. Before the physical essence or expression of light would be spoken into existence, the word, the lamp, the light was. Before it was spoken into existence, the person who is light, the word, was. Do you see it? And the word, the light, was with God. And the word, the light, the lamp, was God. He's the light of the world. He's your lamp. He's your light. He's your sight. He's your vision. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understandings, but in all your way. Acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. He's the lamp. He's the light. He's your vision. He's your guide. He will make your path straight. He, he will even straighten out your crooked path. Come on, somebody. I mean, he says, I'm the light of the world. The one who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. The one who follows me, the one who abides with me, the one who obeys me, they will not stumble. They will not cast off restraint. They will not walk in darkness. Watch this. They will not choose darkness. They will not perish. Proverbs 29, 18, where there's no vision, where there's no sight, the people are unrestrained. They stumble. They cast off restraint. But happy is the one who keeps the law. Happy is the one who trusts. Happy is the one who hangs on in humility and walks and chooses obedience to, to go after the ways of God. His ways are higher than ours, but he, oh, he so lovingly invites us and involves himself in leading us and guiding us. We trust in him with all of our heart. I know we got to go. 
John Piper says, Jesus speaks from God and for God and as God. And he says, I'm the light of the world. Listen, apart from Jesus, we live in darkness. Apart from Jesus, we have limited capacity to understand who we are or what we can see in this world. He's saying, I'm your sight. I'm your truth. Light is required for things to be seen, right? Here's a truth for us this morning. Listen, you cannot blame things for being dark if you aren't choosing to walk in the light. Here's another thing about the light. Light is required for darkness to be dispelled. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. We speak the name of Jesus. If you're walking in darkness or sin or shame this morning, if you are desiring freedom and forgiveness, light is required for darkness to be dispelled. Open up the windows. Let the light in. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. The one who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He is I am. He is the bread of life. He is the light of the world. Let me ask, what are you needing this morning? I'm going to invite the band to come, and we're going to wrap up. What are you needing this morning? Because whatever you're needing, he is. He is your source. He's your solution. He's your sustenance. He is sufficient, never-ending supply. He is your sight. He is your vision, your clarity, your lamp. He is your light. He's a light. There's often this perspective. Remember, we talked about premise, baseline. There's, there's this perspective, this thinking that might say things like, it's impossible. I'm too tired. Nobody really loves me. Nobody really cares for me. I cannot even go on. I can't take another step. I cannot figure things out. I cannot do it. I'm not worth it. I can't forgive myself. I can't afford to. But listen, he's the great I am. And so here's what he says. Here's what Jesus says. Here's what Yah, the unutterable name says. He says, all things are possible in Luke 18. He says, I will give you rest in Matthew 11. He says, I love you in John 3, 16. He says, I care for you in 1 Peter 5. He says, my grace is sufficient in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, I will direct your steps in Proverbs 20 and Proverbs 3. He says, you can do all things in Philippians 4. He says, you are able, 2 Corinthians 9, because of who he is. He says, I'm able. I, I'm the source. I'm your supply. I'm everything. He says, You'll, you are worth it, and it will be worth it in Romans 8. He says, I forgive you in Psalm 103 and 1 John. He says, I will supply all of your needs in Philippians chapter 4. So what are you needing this morning? He is I am. Can I pray for you? Lord Jesus, thank you for meeting with us today in ways that only you can. Thank you that you were I am. Thank you for the time that we have together with the people of God in the presence of God. May we be so encouraged. Lord, I don't know what needs are here, but you do. So I pray you'd minister to each and every heart today. Thank you that you are the bread of life and the light of the world. Thank you that you are I am. So just here in your presence. I pray that you'd prepare us for the week to come. That you would give us a depth of dependence, of trust. That you would increase our faith. And God, we bless you. We bless you. It's in only you that our needs are fully sufficiently met. You are our source, our solution, our supply, and our sight. We bless you. We bless you. 
Here's what I'd love to do this morning. As we are dismissed, I'm going to ask Pastor Aaron just to give us a brief update announcement on small groups. Next week, we've got a video to show you that we didn't get to today. I apologize. But know this. You can breathe oxygen on the fire of God in your life by plugging in in deeper ways. If you know that you need encouragement to make it through the week, make time to be with the people of God in the presence of God in the week, all right? We want this for you, not from you, I promise. I don't want to occupy any more time on your busy iCal schedules. But I want us as people of God to be disciples that gives time for God to do what he desires to do. And so Pastor Aaron's just going to, I'm sorry, I just made your announcement. Pastor Aaron is going <laughs> to encourage you. <laughs> Come here. <laughs> He's going to encourage you to, to either get into a small group or lead one. We still need leaders, and maybe God is calling you to it, all right? Um, so now you want to talk about small groups? And then, <laughs> and then, um, and then we'll, 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 we'll say our declaration together. But here, after the service, I'm going to invite you. I want our prayer partners and our elder families to make yourself available at these curtains. And if you need ministry today, if you need prayer today, the band's just going to lead a song when we dismiss. Take that time. Come to those, those ministers and let them minister to you and pray. All right? Thank you so much for joining us today. Maybe today you need to take the next step in your faith, whether that be giving your life to Christ or maybe you would like prayer and need to be contacted by one of our pastors. In the podcast description, you will find a link to our website and a link to an online connection card. And if you feel led, there will also be a link there where you can give directly to the ministries of Declaration Online. We would love to hear from you. God bless you and have a wonderful week.